Hey, welcome back. This is episode two, and today I'm going to be talking about the first appearance of Ash's classic adversaries, plural Pikachu, and the fabulous females of Pokemon. Also, what's the deal with Jenny and Joy? This is Original Pokemon, the inside story behind the classic seasons of the Pokemon TV series from the man who helped make it happen. Now... Here's the original Pokemon himself, Michael Hegney, which is actually me putting on this voice. I knew I couldn't fool you. Yes, I am Michael Hegney, and I was the voice of Charmander, about 40 other Pokemon, and I adapted and voice directed the American version of the first seasons of the Pokemon television series. So this podcast series is my inside take on the making of those classic seasons, and also a chance for me to apologize for all the things I did wrong, or (laughs) messed up, or angered (laughs) fans about. So anyway, I got a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. I'm talking about episode two, which is called Pokemon Emergency. And I don't want to say it's unique, because I haven't checked that yet, but I got to believe that this is one of the few, if not the only episode, in which all the main female characters of the anime appear. But let me back up a little bit and talk about the main man of Pokemon, who is Roger Parsons. To my knowledge, aside from the Japanese voice of Pikachu, he is the only actor who has appeared in every episode of the Pokemon TV series. So wherever you are, Roger, I salute you. This episode begins almost immediately with a mistake. Well, it's a kind of mistake. Roger does a recap of the action of the first episode, and he recounts that Ash and Pikachu have been attacked by Spearows. We all thought at that time that the plural of Pokemon, you had an S, and that was it. We learned subsequently the plural of a Pokemon was the same as a singular Pokemon. There's another goof, although I'm not exactly sure it's a goof. It may have been my attempt to kind of split the difference about something we weren't sure about. In the recap, Roger says that Pikachu uses its powers, but a moment later I have Roger saying his fate is in Ash's hands, his referring to Pikachu. And as I said in episode one, at that point, I wasn't sure of the gender of Pikachu. I don't think that anybody at Four Kids would have let me say his or its, if they had known either. So it may have been my attempt to split the difference. It may have been a goof. I don't remember. So after the recap, the episode starts, and we're panning over a city, and it turns out it's Viridian City, and we hear a voice. And it's someone announcing there are reports of possible Pokemon thieves in the area. And that very distinctive voice is the voice of Officer Jenny. Officer Jenny was played originally by Heather Quick. That was her screen name. We know her as Lee Quick, which I think is her real name. I did a quick, pun intended, search. I had forgotten that Lee was in a series that I'd done a few years before called Here is Greenwood. I think it was about half a dozen episodes of a Japanese series. It was direct-to-video. A number of years later, it was redone. And I don't exactly know why. Maybe they didn't think I did a good job. That's possible. I also checked the credits of this Pokemon episode, and for some reason, Heather slash Lee Quick was not in the credits. Now, I wasn't personally responsible for the credits. Those were done at at 4Kids. 
And what they did was instead of making credits for each individual episode, they would gang a bunch of episodes together and then put all the actors who had been in all those episodes on all the credits for each episode, even if they weren't in that episode. And that happened with writers too. But she wasn't in those credits. Now, I don't know how many episodes those credits were in. Maybe she was added later. I haven't gone forward far enough to see. As I had mentioned, I think in the first podcast that I did, some actors used screen names for Pokemon because they didn't want the union to know if they were union members that they were doing a non-union show, which Pokemon was. I never knew anybody who used a real name who was a union person who ever got in trouble, but I believe that practice continues to this day. And there are still some actors who were in the original Pokemon who go by their screen names. And uh, enough said about that. So Ash rushes onto the scene, and Officer Jenny sees that he's carrying a Pokemon. And uh, she collars him, literally, and asks him, where does he think he's going? And Ash angrily uh, explains that this is his Pokemon, it's hurt, and he's got to get to the Pokemon hospital right away. Jenny apologizes, you know, she's sympathetic with his situation. And she explains that she thought Ash might be stealing the Pokemon in his arms, and that all he has to do is show her his ID and he can be on his way. Ash gets very flustered at this, and he says he doesn't have any ID, and that he just came from Pallet. Jenny says that Ash is the fourth person from Pallet that she's seen today, that day. Ash is a little disconcerted by this, and he says that that must mean Gary Oak is here, meaning here in Viridian City already. When I listened to this, I didn't understand why Ash would assume that Gary was one of the four people from Pallet that came to Viridian City that Jenny had seen. Why couldn't Gary go basically anywhere he wanted to? But I sensed that if this was that specific in the script, there must have been some reason for it, even if I was unaware of that reason at the time or that I've forgotten the reason. But I kind of guessed that it must have had something to do with the game, the Pokemon game. And I did a little research, and apparently in the first Pokemon games, Red and Blue, Viridian City is the first place a player has access to after getting the Pokemon from Professor Oak. So this is a kind of, I guess, a remnant or an allusion to the game, which in the game makes sense, but here where, you know, presumably anybody can walk in any direction, it doesn't 100% make sense. But uh, that's Pokemon. In this scene, uh, as usual, Officer Jenny's trying to do her duty very efficiently and effectively. Uh, As the series progresses, it becomes clear that she's not always exactly anyone's idea of a crack police officer. But anyway, she asks Ash how she's supposed to know that he's not stealing the Pokemon. So Ash, you know, is desperate here and he pleads with her to let him go. And as the scene unfolds, we see a wanted poster actually just a piece of a wanted poster that gives us the first glimpse of a pair that becomes pivotal in the series. We don't quite see their faces yet, but they're the comic villains of Pokemon. And of course, they are Jesse and James. And Jesse and James were named after a kind of a American folk hero, I guess, of the Old West, who, after I did a little research, actually is a terrible, horrible person. And uh, they changed the name Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, which was the Jesse James character, and they stuck an eye in there for Jesse. When Jenny sees that Ash has a Pokedex, 
She grabs it, and it turns out that the Pokedex is programmed specifically for Ash by Professor Oak, and it has Ash's picture, so it serves as his ID. The Pokedex also says that if the trainer loses the Pokedex, it can't be replaced. And I'm thinking that although I don't specifically remember it yet, there may be an upcoming episode in which Ash loses the Pokedex or has the Pokedex stolen, uh, which I'm sure is going to create drama and uh, some kind of difficulty. We'll see. So now with his ID confirmed, Officer Jenny whisks Ash and Pikachu away in the sidecar of her motorcycle. She speeds off, and she leaves a big cloud of smoke or burnt rubber behind. And when the smoke clears, we see Misty and her completely destroyed, burnt, messed up bicycle from episode one. She's followed Ash on foot to Viridian City with the bike in tow, and she's mad, and she angrily runs after Ash and Jenny and Pikachu. In the next scene, we see that wanted poster again, but this time it's in the hands of three characters floating above Officer Jenny's little police kiosk there in a hot air balloon that looks like a weird giant cat with a big medallion on his head. And this is the first time we meet another of the very important and powerful women of Pokemon, and that is Jessie, voiced by Rachel Lillis. And Rachel also voiced Misty. Goldeen, Jigglypuff, and a bunch of other Pokemon. And uh, they're very different characters. And Rachel's vocal versatility was a real important factor in the series. To give you a little background, four kids paid the actors by the hour. It wasn't a regular salary job for them. So I always tried to hire people who could voice multiple parts because it worked out better for them because more hours and more parts meant more money for them. And it was better for four kids, because if we cast someone for a role that was just a few lines per episode or every few episodes, the actor really wouldn't have much incentive to stick around or to turn down other work, either jobs that might be in California or in summer stock or touring companies. So luckily for me and for the series, Rachel's able to play lots of different kinds of characters. In this scene, we also meet two characters played by two actors who had to be replaced because they did leave to do other projects. If you're really into the TV series, you may already know that in these first episodes, James was voiced by Ted Lewis, who used the screen name Ed Paul. After a few episodes, Ted left to do, I think it was a touring show or a play out of town or summer stock or something, and he was replaced. And we'll get into that when that happens. Also in this scene was the original Meowth, uh, who was voiced by an actor, Matt Sussman. And I got Matt because the woman I was dating and eventually, unfortunately for her, became my wife, was working around this time at the New York Theater Workshop. The play he was in uh, was called Shopping and Something Else, a word for a very popular activity that I can't mention here. But in Pokemon, he used the name Nathan Price in the credits for reasons I suspect, but I can't confirm, and I'll leave it at that. Anyway, Jesse and Meowth both insult James, who's oblivious to these insults, at least in my version he was. And in this scene, we also see that James has a rose. And this involves something which I guess is or has become a little controversial or questionable and which I was reminded of while I accidentally 
discovered a copy of the actor Andrew Rannell's autobiography on a table at Barnes & Noble recently. And I'll tell you about this issue in a future episode of this podcast. There's no reason to get bogged down with it here. In the next scene, we see Ash and Officer Jenny and Pikachu are speeding towards the Pokemon Center, which is a big, impressive, domed building in Viridian City. And as the title of the episode states, this is a Pokemon emergency. So Jenny doesn't just pull up at the curb and calmly escort Pikachu and Ash in, but she drives straight through the front doors and skids to a stop right in front of the reception desk, where we meet our fourth powerful Pokemon woman. The very first of many appearances of the (laughs) many Nurse Joys. This one, as they all were in the classic series, voiced by the marvelous Megan Hollingshead. Understandably, Nurse Joy takes a very dim view of how Jenny has presented uh, herself. But when Ash tells uh, Nurse Joy that his Pikachu is hurt, Joy springs right into action. And too chancy wheel in a gurney, and they hustle Pikachu to the critical care unit. Now, I have to say that if I were Ash, and I had two Pokemon taking care of my beloved Pikachu, and they're both named Chansey, I would be a little concerned about Pikachu's odds for recovery. I think the original name of Chansey, I know the original name of Chansey was Rocky, which apparently is a kind of slangy Japanese adaptation of the word lucky. But either way, lucky and chancy are not confidence-inspiring names in a life or death context. (laughs) Though I have to say, if I were in a similar situation, I'd much rather have a nurse named Lucky than a nurse named Chancy. (laughs) But I did a little digging, and it's apparently kind of a tough Pokemon to capture in the game. And that may be why it was renamed Chancy in English, or maybe because it was more trademarkable than just the word lucky. I don't know. Anyway, this is the third voice in this episode that Rachel Illis does, the voices of the Chansey. Even though there are two Chansey, there kind of seems to be one voice, maybe reverbed slightly. My very, very dim recollection is that this didn't seem right to me but I think I was probably copying what was in the original Japanese track. Just before the Chansey wheel Pikachu away, Nurse Joy tells Ash, it'll be okay. That's in my version of the script. I have a feeling that her line in the original was maybe not quite so reassuring because Joy looks very serious and Ash doesn't look particularly relieved. My guess is that either I or maybe someone four kids made that change because we knew very young kids were going to be watching, and maybe we didn't want them to be anxious about Pikachu possibly dying. (laughs) So either Norman or I or somebody, maybe even at Broadcast Standards, they kicked it back and said, don't even suggest that Pikachu might, you know, kick the bucket. Or maybe it was that way in the original, and the line and the facial expressions just don't match that well. I have to say the animation is a little bit inconsistent here, At first, Joy's very stern, then she's very comforting, and then in the wider shot, she just looks sort of bland and blank. The animators really didn't match the expressions for those last two shots, so to me, it looks like a couple of teams maybe were working independently on the different shots, so maybe the continuity of her expression doesn't exactly hook up from shot to shot. I'm not criticizing this because I'm sure like us, the animators and the Japanese writer or writers 
were, you know, rushing to get things done. And when you have several teams working on things, the visuals don't always match up. And, uh, you know, you have inconsistencies in the animation throughout the series. And, uh, Certainly, inconsistencies in the scripts, at least the way I did them. Uh, You know, and because of schedules and delivery dates and budgets and how many people you have working, you know, even if a director or producer sees mistakes sometimes, they just have to, you know, make a decision and let them go. And I know that from personal experience. Nurse Joy tells Ash to go to the waiting room while the Chansey, I assume, work on Pikachu somehow in a medical context. So Ash is in this waiting room, and there are a bunch of monitors with phones connected to them, presumably video phones, and he decides to call his mother. Now, in this scene, there's a bit of dialogue that I think could be a mistake. Ash tells his mom that he's already in Viridian City, and she can't believe it. And she says his father took four days to get to Viridian City. And then she says, oh, he'll be so proud. That's in my version. We haven't heard yet anything about his father. He wasn't mentioned in the first episode, and Ash's father is kind of a recurring mystery in the whole series, I believe until this day, although I haven't watched the show in years. But from what I've read on online posts, it still is. As we were recording the series, Ron London, who is the great uh, recording engineer and had a lot of fun with Ron over the years, uh, we both used to guess who we thought was Ash's father. You may be aware, if you're a big fan, of some of the paternity rumors and theories of Ash's uh, male parent, and uh, we'll deal with those in future podcasts. But here's the possible mistake. I have Ash's mom saying that Ash is the apple of his, meaning Ash's father's, eye, to which Ash replies, yeah, a rotten apple. This is because Ash feels, you know, he's messed up so far. His only Pokemon is Pikachu, and he hasn't done a good job of training Pikachu. The thing is, I don't know if either of them, either Ash or his mother, actually says anything like this in the original Japanese. This may have been an invention of mine, and maybe a misguided one, just to get to that rotten apple gag. Unfortunately, I can't find an English-subbed version of the Japanese language episode 2 to find out. So if you know where one is, or you know the answer to this, please email me at originalpokeman at gmail.com. Ash is kind of down, so his mom gives him a kind of pep talk, and he hangs up, and he turns, and on the wall of the Pokemon Center is what looks like a stone plaque that's made up of quadrants, four sections. In one of them, we see what looks like an ancient rendering, I guess you'd call it, of the creature Ash apparently saw near the end of the first episode, the Ho-Oh. So Ash says, hey, that's the flying Pokemon he saw, but he's wrong, which we'll see corroborated by Professor Oak just a bit later. The bird on the plaque is not actually Ho-Oh, it's an Articuno. And I think we took Ash's quote from the original Japanese, so his mistake must have been intentional by the writer of the original script. Or it's possible I may have just added this line because there was a big gap of silence in the original Japanese, and I wanted to make sure that if a kid had either forgotten or not seen episode one, that he or she would know what Ash was talking about and why he went over to the plaque and looked at it with such wonder and interest. 
The other Pokémon on the plaque are Zapdos, Arcanine, and Moltres. Doing just a bit of research to verify that I had the right Pokémon, I found out that apparently mythical Pokémon are a subset of legendary Pokémon, or maybe uh, technically and a bit more correctly, a related but separate group of Pokémon. And I'm not even sure there's an official English language term for this, It seems like more of a game thing uh, from what I could understand. So I'm not going to get into it because I don't really know. And I certainly didn't know at the time I was adapting the series. If you want to know more about this difference, I'm putting a link in my page to BulbaGarden.net, which is a website that explains a lot of Pokemon stuff. I also found there's some disagreement on the web uh, about Arcanine being included with the trio of legendary flying Pokemon And I'll let you read that for yourself. I'll put a link into the discussion of this on the website, if I can ever figure out how to do that. Ash doesn't get much time to think about the Pokemon on the plaque because the video phone rings, and because there's nobody around, Ash answers it. And one of the panels on the plaque slides back to reveal that it's Professor Oak, but the back of his head. The professor has the wrong camera on in his lab, and he quickly corrects it. And this kind of introduces here which wasn't really brought out in the first episode, that Oak can be kind of an absent-minded professor type, a kind of a comic figure. Now, I've seen a couple of things on the internet claiming that making him this way in the American version is a substantial change from the Japanese version, uh, that Professor Oak was more serious in the original, very straight character. But to me, it's obvious that the Japanese are going for comedy here. You know, well, comedy might be strong language, but this thing with the video phone is is like an obvious physical gag to me, and Oak's reactions are obviously comic. Anyway, I, I don't remember what the dialogue was in the original Japanese, but Ash and Oak have kind of a brief back and forth with some lightly comic dialogue I put in there to fill the flaps. And Oak says that he's a bit surprised Ash made it to Viridian City because he'd had his doubts that Ash could handle his Pikachu. And Ash looks down kind of disappointed and embarrassed, because he knows that he has had a lot of trouble with Pikachu. But Oak says his grandson Gary said that Ash wouldn't have a single Pokemon by the time Ash got to Viridian City, but that Oak had bet Gary a million dollars that Gary was wrong. And Ash, kind of sheepishly embarrassed, replies, well, money isn't everything, right? Then we see Professor Oak in that typical anime gloom environment with his back to us, his head bowed, and he says, why do I even bother? And I don't know why I put that particular line in there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And I'm not sure why I made it a million dollars in there either. It seems kind of wildly out of proportion. I think I was just trying to exaggerate for comic effect. And there's also a joke I put in there about Professor Oak waiting for his pizza to come. Um, Oak's got some test tubes and scientific equipment there in his lab, and he's also got a beaker of ramen noodles cooking when we first see him. I doubt I could have missed that at the time. And if you look closely, even on that first shot of the back of Professor Oak, you see a bowl with chopsticks. And I assume that I saw that, but I took out the ramen reference anyway. Now, I'm aware of some very angry criticism that 4Kids intentionally de-Japanified the series. Now, I plead not guilty to that here, because if you see the way Oak runs off at the end of this scene, it doesn't make any sense, because the ramen was directly behind him. 
And so that's why I added the doorbell sound effect and made the line about food delivery, the line about the uh, pineapple and anchovy pizza. You know, I, I just put that in there so a kid would think maybe that was funny or weird, uh, unless you're in California where that combo is probably normal. But that's why I did it. And I also had to fill in that dead gap where there was just nothing on screen and I just fill it with dialogue there. It definitely was not about making this scene or the show less Japanese by taking out ramen. Um, it was about making the action of Oak make sense and adding a gag or gag-like lines in there. As soon as Professor Oak signs off, before Ash can ask him any questions or for advice or what to do, Misty appears, carrying her burnt, bent bike on her back, and she's still steaming, as she basically is through many of these early episodes, and some of the later ones too, usually with good reason. She's ranting about how Ash was the one who destroyed the bike, but uh, as she's ranting, she topples over, and when Ash tries to help her, she slaps his hand away. We don't see the slap, but we hear it. Uh, this is another of several slaps in the first few shows that we took out as per broadcast standards and practices. They don't like kids hitting other kids. But Misty comes down a little bit and becomes very sympathetic when Ash explains that his Pikachu isn't doing very well. Just then, Nurse Joy and the Chansey wheel out Pikachu hooked up to some kind of electrical device that looks like a bandage with a light bulb screwed into his head. And uh, Joyce says the procedures went well, but that Pikachu needs to rest and recover. Just then, Officer Jenny announces over a loudspeaker that the Pokemon thieves have been spotted again and to exercise extreme caution. That's when Jesse, James, and Meowth reappear in the balloon over the Pokemon Center, and we first hear the name Team Rocket. At this point, Meowth, uh, who's a talking Pokemon, as I'm sure you know, is doing something which I think ended pretty early in this series. He says, meow, when he says a line or two, and then meow again at the end. I believe that was what he did in the original script, in the original Japanese. I don't think I added that. But the Japanese stopped having meow do that pretty early in the first season, to my recollection. Jesse and James launch their Pokeballs, which crash through the roof of the Pokemon Center, and their Ekans, snake spelled backwards, and coughing appear. If you heard the first episode of this podcast series, which I hope you did, I don't know why anyone would start with episode two, but I really tried to emphasize that memories are faulty, at least mine is, and that one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast series is, I don't want to say to correct exactly, but to add to the recollections, or at least insert my recollections, into the Pokemon pool of memory and history. This episode proves that one of my major recollections is wrong. I thought for years that the first Pokemon voice I did in the series was Charmander. I'll get a little bit more into why I started doing the Pokemon voices in a later podcast, but suffice it to say, Ekans and Coughing were the first ones I did here in this episode. And I have to say that's a pretty bad job that I've done. As time went on, I think, I hope... I added a lot more flavor to the Ekans and coughing voices. A few days ago when I was reviewing this episode to prepare for this podcast, I suddenly realized where I got the voice for coughing. In my last year of college at Fordham at Lincoln Center in New York, I got a job as a page at CBS, which is like an usher. 
And when I worked in the office, the office buildings used to have people come around. It was like a coffee wagon. I don't know if anybody does this now. But there was a man who came around twice a day, like 1030 in the morning and then like three o'clock in the afternoon. And his name was Paul. And he had this booming voice. And he would get off the elevator and you hear the rumble of the coffee cart. And he would call out that he was there. And he would do that by saying, coffee, coffee, coffee. And so I realize now that's where I got the coughing voice. It also looks like the effect, that shimmering light effect they used when Ekans and coughing pop out of their Pokeballs, was visually tamped down, muted. And again, this was because of the Porygon episode that is, I think, known as the Pokemon Shock episode that sent kids to the hospital, which basically every fan of the TV series knows about. This visual tamping down and freeze framing of these fast flashing scenes happens uh, throughout this episode. So the smoke clears and Team Rocket starts with their motto, to protect the world from devastation, to unite all peoples within our nation, etc., etc., I don't know if Norman Grossfeld, who was the head of Four Kids, wrote this motto, if Nintendo gave this translation to Four Kids, or if Paul Taylor, who was the translator of the Japanese uh, for Four Kids, did it. All I can say is it doesn't really make much sense to me. <laughs> Maybe that's the point of it. And I don't think I had anything to do with writing it, so I'm not going to take credit or blame for this one. Naturally, this motto, Ash doesn't know what they're talking about, and Jesse tells him that they're there for Pokemon. And Ash says, well, you're not getting my Pikachu. And they say, we don't want this little rat Pokemon. We're here for rare and valuable Pokemon. Then Nurse Joy tells Team Rocket, we only have weak and injured Pokemon here. You know, it's a Pokemon hospital. But Jesse says they may find some gems among the junk. Ash says Team Rocket's bugging him. And Meowth says, then let's squash him like a bug. One of my jokes or joke-adjacent additions to the script. Jesse and James sick Ekans and coughing on them, and Misty and Joy and Ash flee with Pikachu on the gurney. Uh, they run into a different area of the Pokemon Center there, where there's a wall filled with Pokeballs as Ekans and coughing uh, wreak havoc in the Pokemon Center. Ekans chomps through a bunch of electric lines, and the lights go out, but Nurse Joy says they've got their own Pika power. And we see a device with sparking electricity, and we hear, Pika Pikachu Choo, Pika Pikachu Choo. And uh, we tilt down to see it's a whole bunch of Pikachu on a circular treadmill running and generating electricity for the Pokemon Center. And it's so cute, it makes your teeth hurt. But this scene is especially significant. When Misty sees them, she says, Look at all the Pikachu. She uses Pikachu as a plural. That's not what happened in the first episode, or even earlier in this episode with the narrator. There are a couple of possible reasons for me finally getting it right here. It could have been that we later learned the plural of Pikachu is Pikachu, and we had Rachel in the booth in the studio, and we went back into this episode and recorded it properly. It could also have been that we had to wait for Rachel to come in for some reason, and she filled in episodes we had already recorded with other actors. And by the time she came in, we knew what was right and decided to do it right at least part of the time because either we didn't have the time or the budget to go back and fix things or the will to fix things we had already recorded with others. I guess the third possibility is it was a mistake and I didn't catch it. 
And I guess also thinking about it, it's also possible I thought that the plural of Pikachu was Pikachu, but not that the singular and plural of other Pokemon were the same. I suppose another remote possibility is that Rachel actually said Pikachus, and we clipped out the S, so it sounded like Pikachu. I honestly don't remember. Next, we hear the voice of Nurse Joy coming from one of the computer terminals. There's an emergency, and the in-person Nurse Joy responds, and a metal claw takes the Pokeballs, and they get onto a conveyor belt where they get zapped, disappear, and presumably get safely transported to the Pewter City Pokemon Center. So, coughing and Ekins, which the Microsoft Word dictate function interprets as Atkins, maybe it's trying to tell me to go on a diet, uh, they break into the room and a bunch of Pokeballs spill across the floor and Joy says, get those Pokeballs. And Ash says, okay, and reaches down to pick one up. And Misty shouts, this is war, don't just hold them, throw them. Uh, Ash says, okay, but instead of his famous Pokeball go line, Ash says, Pokemon, here we go. That's because I was trying to match the lip flaps, and there were too many for Ash to just say Pokemon Go. Back at that time, 4Kids wasn't editing flaps to match dialogue. They were editing out or covering up violence, like the Misty Slaps, and they were already muting the visuals of explosions and flashing lights, but not flaps. So I made it Pokeball, here we go, to fit the flaps. There were no flaps in the classic Ash Pokeball throwing scenes that were used over and over again throughout the seasons. Anyway, Ash throws the Pokeball and out pops a Pidgey, but Ekans rears up and the Pidgey freaks out and is afraid. And then Ash tries another Pokeball. It's empty. And I noticed something interesting watching this back. It's the only time I ever remember seeing the inside of an empty Pokeball. It has kind of ribbed metal sides and little shiny reflective panels on the inside. I don't ever remember seeing an inside of a Pokeball, an empty one, or even one with a a Pokemon in it, in the episodes that I did. This could be a false memory. I have many of those, but I guess we'll see as time rolls on and as this podcast continues. When Ash picks up a third Pokeball, he says it feels like a winner. And then for the first time in the series, he says, Pokeball, go! A Rattatat comes out, and I'm pretty sure that's me doing the voice. I did Rattatat in other episodes, and this one sounds like me. But Rattata freaks out too, and Misty steps in and says, I'll take care of these clowns, meaning Team Rocket. And Jesse says, that's pretty big talk coming from such a little lady. And Misty says, at least you're right about the pretty. And Jesse replies, pretty pathetic. I don't think there was anything like that gag in the Japanese, but I put that in, and I know some people don't like the gags that I put in or the fact that gags were put in, uh, gags such as they were, but that's what I did. But anyway, this understandably angers Misty, as virtually everything does, especially in these early episodes. And she does her Pokeball Go thing too, but it has a lot more flaps. It doesn't match. You know, the flap thing was always a big issue for me. And I know this is an American animation thing versus a Japanese anime thing. But matching flaps for Pokemon was tough for a couple of reasons. And I have to admit, in these first episodes, Even though doing that was important to me, I didn't do a very good job of it. And I have a feeling that maybe in the last episodes, maybe I didn't do such a great job either. Matching flaps to dialogue is not a big value in Japan. 
they create their animation first, based on the scripts and dialogues, of course, and their actors fill in the voices later. And I'll give a little more background on why the Japanese started doing animation that way in a future podcast. In the previous podcast, my first podcast, I said I'm okay with accepting blame and criticisms for the choices I made and the things I wrote and the failures and mistakes I made. And I certainly don't want to sound defensive or thin-skinned, though my skin is definitely thinning. But I have to take exception to something I read uh, on a website called TV Tropes, which is mostly very informative, and I like it very much. It's very entertaining. But here's their quote talking about what I always called lip flap. They call it lip lock and lip flap. Here's a quote. If the script writer doesn't pay attention to match the lip flaps, the result is that the new actors are forced to speak at strange tempos in order to better fit the lip flap. The main ways in which this is manifest are speaking with an odd, enunciated slowness as if every word were capitalized. In extreme cases, this results in the character sounding like a cartoonish William Shatner. Okay, so far so good. I agree with that. Now here comes the thing that bugs me. See anything dubbed by 4Kids Entertainment, particularly, and then they mention another 4Kids adapted series, which I'm not going to drag here. I've never seen this other series or really very many episodes of any other 4Kids series because I was mostly busy doing my own. But I honestly don't think it's true about Pokemon or the other series I did. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I'm pretty sure that if you close your eyes and just listen to the audio tracks of the Pokemon seasons that I did, at least, they sound like a radio show. You won't hear that slow down or speed up or the emphasizing of words that they mention here. So to be clear, I love TV tropes, but I think this comment is R-O-N-G. So Misty starts battling and throws a Pokeball and a Goldeen comes out. And that's Rachel Lillis doing uh, yet another voice. Now, to me, Goldeen is weird. Goldeen is freaky and disturbing. It's this, this sort of seductive female voice coming out of this big flippin' goldfish. I remembered that the original name was Totosaki, uh, the original Japanese name of Goldeen, but it's actually Tosakinto. But when the Japanese actress says it, it sounded to me probably intentionally like Totosaki. I just learned on the internet that Goldeen is probably a combination of goldfish and queen. And uh, the Pokemon itself is modeled on the Tosakin, an actual Japanese goldfish that's known as the queen of goldfish. It's an ornamental fish bred to have this very beautiful tail. And Goldeen is drawn as beautiful. And I guess the Goldeen voice is designed to sound like a queen or something, maybe like the queen in Snow White, you know, before she shows how evil she is. But anyway, I found out that Tosakin originated in Kochi, Japan, and they thought that this breed had been wiped out after World War II, uh, the bombings and the uh, 1946 tsunami earthquake they had there. But one day, this guy, uh, I guess a fish aficionado, pun, went to uh, some restaurant and saw these fish in a bowl, I guess, or a tank maybe. So he offered the guy, the proprietor of the restaurant, I suppose, a bottle of vodka. In return, he got these six fish. And they believe that all the Tosekin that are alive now are the descendants of these six fish from that restaurant. And just like Goldeen, uh, if you see pictures of them on the internet, 
It's a lovely fish with beautiful tails, and they're generally kept in very shallow, flat bowls. So the tails grow very wide, and it's meant to be seen from above. That's why they don't usually display these fish in tanks, because when you look down on them, it's very a beautiful wide tail, which you can see from above. Uh, having said all that, I still think there's something freaky about Goldeen, and uh, Goldeen gives me the creeps. Jesse and James say Goldeen is pathetic, and Misty has Goldeen return to its Pokeball and says she knows water Pokemon can't battle on land, and that she was just warming up, which seems like a weak excuse, but then, as an aside to Ash... She says that she's just distracting Jesse, James, and Meowth, and she tells him to get Pikachu out of here. And so Ash grabs the gurney and runs, and Ekans and Coughing are in hot pursuit, but Ash crashes into Misty's burnt-out bike. He tumbles and falls, which wakes Pikachu from his, I guess, coma-like state, and Pikachu weakly calls, Pika, Pika. And the Pikachu generating the power come jumping out to gang up their Pika power and really shock Ekans and Jesse and James and Coughing, who are frozen in place and kind of burnt to a crisp. Uh, again, the video was muted and slowed down so that the flashes aren't as intense. And so Pokemon Emergency doesn't send anybody else to the emergency room. This group shock treatment apparently has revived Pikachu. But Meowth has been off to the side, untouched by the attack, and he now declares, Pikachu, you're mine. To me, it's clear that this attack by Pikachu on Jesse and James and their Pokemon is what the Japanese writer intentionally inserted in this sequence to give Jesse and James and Meowth their motive for constantly trying to get Pikachu throughout the series. That's my opinion anyway. As Meowth approaches, Pikachu starts talking, and somehow Ash understands that Pikachu is asking for more power. Meowth's puzzled when he sees Ash furiously pedaling Misty's broken-down bike, but there's a little generator on the bike wheel that's lighting the headlight on the bicycle, and Pikachu jumps from the gurney onto the front of the bicycle, and the wire attached to Pikachu's head and the bulb coming out of his head get energized by the headlight. It zaps up. Pikachu's rejuvenated, and Team Rocket and their Pokemon are electrified. <laughs> Not only is this scene tamped down for the brightness and for the rapidly changing flashing lights, the reacts of each character are put into quadrants that change throughout the scene. I suspect this was a re-edit to avoid that flashing situation in the Porygon episode without trimming or changing, shortening the original duration of the scene. Why they felt this was necessary when these early episodes didn't have any problems with them in Japan, I don't know. It was a very sensitive topic that got quite a bit of press at the time, and I don't think anyone wanted to risk any potential problems or complaints. I've just recently, after sneak previewing the first episode of my podcast, I've gotten some feedback from some fans, and they corrected me. In the first episode, I claimed, I believe, 4Kids was the one who edited and slowed down and tamped down and eliminated the flashing lights. But apparently, according to these fans, it was the Japanese who did that when they sent the episodes to 4Kids for revoicing. That could be true, and it probably is, although I have not verified that. With all the super Pika power at work, the... Pokemon Center basically blows up as Officer Jenny arrives on the scene in her motorcycle. And in the next scene, 
to really drive home what I'd mentioned earlier, we see Team Rocket drifting by in the night in their uh, giant Meowth balloon. And they're saying that that Pikachu was really powerful. And James says, it must be a really rare Pokemon. And Jesse says that we have to catch it. And Meowth says, perhaps we will. Back at what remains of the Pokemon Center, it's a beautiful morning. And on her computer, the Pewter City Nurse Joy is saying that the Pokeballs have been safely transferred there. And the Viridian City Nurse Joy is happy about that and says, thanks, sis. Now, I'm not sure if that was in the original Japanese because I can't uh, find an English subbed version of this episode. If you know the answer, please let me know because it kind of bears on the question of Nurse Joys and all that kind of stuff, which we'll eventually deal with in a future podcast. Anyway, if you know the answer, let me know at originalpokeman at gmail.com. In any case, the Viridian City Nurse Joy is a little concerned about Misty and Ash and Pikachu because they're headed to Pewter City, but she's worried about them getting through the Viridian Forest. However, Officer Jenny says that from what she, Officer Jenny, has seen, she thinks they'll be fine. In the next scene, we see that our heroes are already in the Viridian Forest, and there's a scream from off-screen, and it's Misty. This tough gal who's really been the one who stood up to Team Rocket is now cowering behind Ash because she spotted a Caterpie. Misty has a nearly pathological fear of bug-type Pokemon. Ash feels kind of confident now, maybe because he saw how well Misty did using her Pokeballs. So he grabs a Pokeball from his belt and he goes into what becomes his iconic Pokeball stance, action, whatever you want to call it. He twists his cap around and he says, Pokemon, go! And that's where the episode ends. Roger Parsons teases the cliffhanger and asks if Ash will capture his first Pokemon. And will Misty ever get her bicycle back? That's it for episode two. Next time, I'll delve into the surprising source for Caterpie's creation. And I'll also try to worm out of a puzzling Pokemon predicament. That and more on episode three of Original Pokemon. If you have any comments, questions, or criticisms, feel free to email me at originalpokeman at gmail.com. That's originalpokeman at gmail.com. This is Michael Hegney. Thanks for listening.